Uh, I invite you to turn your Bible uh, to the book of Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And as you turn there, I want to, I want to tell you about a book I just recently found out. Uh, a man by the name of Thaddeus J. Williams, he wrote a book, 2017, so it's fairly new. And the name of the book is this. It's a very interesting title, and, and I love the title because it fits so well with the book of Colossians and so well with where we find ourselves this morning. And the name of the book is this, Becoming Yourself by Mirroring the Greatest Person in History. Becoming Yourself by Mirroring the Greatest Person in History. And you know who the greatest person in history, according to this author, is? Jesus Christ. And he asked the question, he says this, what would happen if we all truly worship Jesus? In other words, if we all truly put our faith, confidence, trust, and we simply look to him every day of our life for every aspect of our life, how would our lives be radically different if we brought that kind of attention to Jesus? And this is what he writes in the introduction of the book. I thought very interesting, laying the foundation. He says this, a man by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson famously said this, What we are worshiping, we are becoming. In other words, our deities, what we worship, what we put our focus on, shapes our identity. So he says, let's call this Emerson's Law and consider it in the lives of two men. The evolutionary scientist Charles Darwin once wrote this in his autobiography, and this is what he's quoting. He says this, My chief enjoyment and sole employment throughout life has been scientific work. From this work, he added, I am never idle, and it is the only thing which makes life endurable to me. What effect did that devotion have upon Charles Darwin, that scientific work? What kind of impact did it have on him? This is what happens. He says this, At the age of 30, poetry gave me great pleasure, and I took great delight in Shakespeare. But now, for many years, I have found it in so tolerably dull that it has nauseated me. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding out general laws out of large collections of facts. This loss is a loss of happiness. I became a withered leaf for every subject except science, which he saw as a great evil. See how that shaped his life? Now, consider that same kind of influence in the life of a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. At age 19, Jonathan Edwards said this, I am resolved to cast my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and confide in him, and consecrate myself wholly to him. Later in life, Edwards reflected on this and how Jesus was the object of his worship and affection for over the years, and this is what he said. It brought an inexpressible purity, brightness and peacefulness and ravishment to the soul. In other words, it made the soul like a field or garden. And this is the conclusion the author makes in this book. One became a withered leaf and the other a garden. The object of their ultimate devotion shaped the very kind of men these two people became. So the question becomes, what are we focusing in in life? What is our God, if you What is the, the heart drawn to day in and day out? And why are we even here this morning? What would really happen if we put and kept Jesus at the center of all of our lives? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, what? Set your heart on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. Why? So that we can be shaped by the life, the person of Jesus. It goes on to say, when Christ who is your life, 
appears, we will appear with him in glory. And that's the central theme of the book of Colossians, reminding us to keep our mind, our hearts, hearts and thoughts and intentions on Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. So we're in the book of Colossians. Many of us are wearing this wristband that says, look up, so we can look up to Jesus. So let me just remind us to look up to Jesus in his word. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Follow along as I read the, the, the scripture this, this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. That's what he wants us to do. Walk. That's one of our points this morning. Walk in him. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 8. Watch out. See to it. Watch out that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Verse 9, why why do that thing? Why walk? Why watch out? Look at verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, and the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done with the hands of men, but the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Our lives are to be immersed in the unique person of who Jesus Christ is. And, and that's what he's going to point us to this morning in our text. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for the great privilege that I have to worship with my family and my friends. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world. You can't flip on the news and see just the, the, the destruction going on, the loss of life, the difficulties, the challenges. And, Father, we're trying to figure our way in the midst of all of this, how to raise a family, how to make a living, how to respond to our neighbors, how to be a good person, how to be a godly man, how to be a godly woman. And this morning, Father, we simply want to give ourselves to you, to worship you, to trust you, and invite you into our presence this morning so that we can look at the Word of God and be shaped and molded by the Word of God to become the kind of people that you would have us to become, Father. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I I think that there's three movements in this text. At least that's what I'm going to point out. Number one, he says, I want you to walk this way. I want you to live this way. Second thing is this. You need to watch out. You need to watch out. There's a lot of bad stuff in there. And the last thing that we see in there is there's this idea that we need to worship Jesus for who he is. Now, I don't know that we'll get through all of this. I kind of looked at my notes again this morning. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. Sometimes you just don't get through it. So if we don't get through the last one, we're going to be good. We'll come back next week because... We won't forget where we're at. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. So, so, so what, what Paul is doing here is he's, he's reminding us, listen, there's three responses that I want you to have in this. I, I want you to walk with Jesus. I want you to watch, watch out for things in your life. But I also want you to, work, to worship him. And what, what Paul is doing in this passage, he's actually commending the people. He says, listen, I, I find great joy in what you're doing. I want to commend you. I want to encourage you. You guys are doing a great job. Your faith is growing. Your love for everybody in the body of Christ is growing. So what he wants to do is he wants to encourage them to continue down that path and not lose sight of their focus on who Jesus is and what he's done. And so the first thing he does is this. He reminds them, listen, I want you to walk. I want you to walk consistently. Look at verse 6 and 7 again. So he says this. So then, just as you have 
received Christ Jesus as Lord, continued to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, what's interesting is this. If you were to step back and look at the text, if you were to step back and look at the book of Colossians, from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to chapter 3, verse 17, you would see that what Paul is doing is saying, listen, I am going to lay a foundation, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to build on that foundation. Over and over, I want you to walk consistently. I want you to keep moving forward. So here's the foundation, and I'm going to build on it here, I'm going to build on it here, I'm going to build on it here, and I'm going to build on it here. He continually goes back to the supremacy of Jesus. In chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, notice what he wrote about the supremacy and how he's going to build on this foundation. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, He is, who is Jesus? Let me ask you something. Who is Jesus to you? Can you say with affirmation, this is who Jesus is? He is, the, uh, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, the excellency, the the, the absolute focus of my life, my attention needs to be on the unique person of Jesus. He is the preeminent one in my life. And what Paul does as he works his way through this text, as he works his way through this book, he's going to continue to build on that. Build on this foundation. Paul, the pastor, he he has this love for his people. He says, listen, I I want you to just love Jesus, and let me build on this foundation. So in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, so then. And then he adds what he wants them to do. In chapter 2, verse 16, he says, therefore... I want, you to, I want you to do this. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, I, I want you to keep doing it. I want, I want you to build on this. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, therefore, I, I want you to keep going. In chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, in other words, over and over, Paul is just building on this wonderful foundation, the unique person of Jesus Christ. And he looks to the people at Colossae, some 1,300 miles away. As he assessed the situation from Epaphras, he understands the false teaching that's going on. He says, listen, I recognize all that stuff going on. Now what I want to do is I want to build on that. And I want you to continue to build on that. Don't get sloppy. Don't get complacent. Don't get lazy in your spiritual life. Don't just think it's all out there. And I just need to coast through life. I don't think that's what he's talking about. What Paul was encouraging the people is to continue to, he says this, to live in him. Or or the idea has the the idea of, of walking with him. The word live means to it's a daily walk of Jesus. I am daily living my life and the presence of Jesus, and who he is, and what he has done for me. So I bring Jesus in the context of my family. And I bring Jesus in the context of my finances. And I bring Jesus in the context of my neighbors. And I bring Jesus in the context of my job. And I bring Jesus in the context of my computer, and my phone, and all the images that come inside my mind and my heart. I bring Jesus in that context so that he would be the absolute focal point of my life. That's what it means to, to live for Jesus. That doesn't mean for me to come in on Sunday and go, okay, I'm going to put Jesus at the forefront of my life, and then when I leave this, leave this place and I forget all that I've learned, all the worship, and go back to a, a continual pattern of life that keeps Jesus out. He said, listen, I want you to walk and live consistently in Jesus. One fan said this, and I thought it was very interesting. He said this, if, if God does not enter your kitchen... There's something wrong with your kitchen. If you can't take God into your recreation, there's something wrong with your play. 
We all believe in the God of the heroic. What we need most of these days is the God of the humdrum, the commonplace, the God of every day. That's what he means to walk and to live with Jesus. That's what he wants us to know. He wants Jesus to, to be a part of every aspect of our life. And it's not wrong to every once in a while ask myself this question, where am I going in my spiritual life? How am I growing in my spiritual life? Am I, am I hanging close to Jesus in my spiritual life? There's nothing wrong with asking those kinds of questions. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, gospel writer who knew Jesus well, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, leaned back on Jesus' bosom, said this, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Wow. Sometimes I fall a little bit short of that. That's why I need this teaching. That's why I need this encouragement so that I can continue to move forward in my life, in my walk with Jesus. So when Paul says in verse 6, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, he's not asking this. He's not saying, by the way, have you, have you asked Jesus into your life? Did, did you ever go forward at a, at a church meeting and Talk to someone. Did you ever raise your hand? He's not talking about a mental assent to who Jesus is. He's talking about putting your faith, your trust, your confidence in the unique person of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. The, the idea behind the word received is this. It's a technical word that means, uh, it means the teaching about the life, death, burial, resurrection, who Jesus is, what he's taught us. It's a technical word that I've embraced those types of things about the unique person of Jesus. I've embraced who he is and what he's done with us. And that's what Paul goes for in this text. In this whole entire book, he's talking about our life of faith in Jesus. I am no longer my own. I have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he continues to do in here. Great verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, kind of gives a synopsis of what this idea received looks like. Paul wrote these words. He said this, we also thank God continually because when you, what? You received the word of God, which you heard, which you accepted, it as not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you. You see what he's talking about? This idea of received, heard, responding to the word of God, knowing that this is not just a book written by men. This is a book inscribed by the very hand of God. It has a transforming principles in our lives to change us radically on the inside, to draw us closer to him. So that's what Paul's talking about here. He said, I want you to, I want you to live for him. I want you to walk in him. And notice how he defines that. There's dimensions of our life. There's implications for our life. There's a mobility to our life. When you walk, there's a mobility to our life, right? Normally when you walk, you're trying to get somewhere. Notice how he describes this wall. This walk in these verses. Number, it's rooted. He says you're rooted. Where, where you're, you're, you're rooted in Him. You're not rooted in anything else. You're rooted in Him. It means to become stable. We're, we're strengthened deep down. Our, our, our roots are going down deep into something that when the when the wind comes, when the waves come, when the false doctrine comes, what I have my roots placed way downward in my life, and that's going to help me to hang on to the difficulties and challenges of life. In other words, there's a downward mobility where I am putting deep, incredible roots of my life into something called the unique person of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And notice how he describes it. I'm putting those roots into Christ Jesus 
as Lord. Can you call that Christ Jesus as Lord? Can you call him your Lord and your Savior? Listen, these roots that you plant in, as, as you dig down deep, these roots as you plant out, they will, they will help you to hang on. They will anchor your soul to the very truth of who Jesus is. And when all of these other winds of doctrine, principles that come around in our world, whenever they come, you're going to be able to hang in there. In the book of Jeremiah, he offers a contrast between the principles, the human traditions of men, and what God's word does to anchor us. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, notice how he describes this. Don't we all want to be blessed? I sure do. Notice how he describes this. He says, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Notice the implications. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Don't miss the connection between a strong foundational root system and how to handle the difficulties and challenges of life. It doesn't say we're going to be perfect. It says this, what? You are going to have an incredibly deep root system. It talks about the, the focus of my life needs to be downward into a root system. Paul goes on and says, you need to have strong roots, but you also need to, to build on those roots. He says you need to be built up in him. The Bible says this, he who began a good work in you will continue to work and bring it to completion. In other words, God is working through the word of God. God is working through the spirit of God to change us and to transform us into his image. And so what he wants to do is he wants us to build, continue to build on the foundation that is already. That's what the word build means. The foundation is already there. The roots have already been laid. Now what you want to do is you want to build on that foundation. You want to build on it, not just leave it there. So Friday, my son and I had some time to work on a deck, and the deck in our backyard, the, the boards are just coming up, and it's really, really bad. So we had to get out there, and we had to pull up all of the bad boards, all right? So we pulled up all of these bad boards. Now, imagine that I, if I told my wife after we pulled up all of these bad boards, you know what? I think we're going to be okay. If we are just really careful and kind of walk around the boards and walk around the, the I think we can make it. You can be safe. I can be, we'll be careful. We'll take our kids out there and hold them by the hand. That would be silly. You would never do that. My wife would never do that. My kids would never come over to why? Because you have to build on the, That's what Paul's saying. Listen, you've got a foundation that's already there. Build upon the foundation. Continue to build upon the foundation. Don't get complacent. Don't get lazy. Don't give up. Continue to move forward. There's an example of this in the book of Acts. Paul's at Miletus. He loves the church. He loves the people at Ephesus. He just loves people. And Paul is so mindful to care for people in their spiritual growth and development. So he's at Miletus, and he says, I, I want you to call the elders, the leaders from the, the uh, city of Ephesus. I want you to come to Miletus. And, and he calls them together, and he said, listen, I want you to know something, that there's going to become a point in time when from among your own people... False prophets, false teachers are going to come up. They're going to come up from right among you, from among your church. And what I want to do is I want to warn you, and I want to tell you about that. And this is what he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. 
Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. The word of grace will do what? Build you up. The grace, life, death, burial, resurrect, everything that we have been given because of Jesus because of the Spirit of God that lives inside, because of all that we have been given in Jesus, as we understand this word of God's grace to us in Jesus, it says this, we're, we're built up. So there's a, there's a downward motion to my life. There is an upward motion to my life, and there's also an inward inclination to my life. No, it says strengthened in what? In the faith, the once for all faith given for the saints, Jude talks about. There is no other faith. There is the once-for-all faith given to us in the unique person of Jesus Christ. Why do we need to be strengthened? Because when you leave here, when we leave here, we are bombarded by all kinds of things that want to knock us off our moorings, that want to knock us out of our place, to remove us from this wonderful, beautiful standing that we have in Jesus Christ. And the weaknesses that we have, what do we do? We call on Jesus in our weakness so that he will become the kind of strength that we need so that we can be strengthened in the faith. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith does what? It produces endurance. Weakness, difficulties, challenge in our lives are an opportunity for us to be strengthened in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we're to live every day, every day, with this idea that, that you and I can be strengthened in the faith that we have in the unique person of Jesus. One man said this, as a, as a testimony to our lives, as a testimony to our faith, he said this, the proof of Christianity is not a book, but a life. The power of Christianity is not a creed, but a Christian character. And wherever you see life that has been transformed by the grace of God, you see a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That's why Paul is saying, listen, I want, you to be, I, I want you to be walking with Jesus. I want you to live with him. I want you to be rooted in him. I want you to be built up in him. I want you to be strengthened by him because that will help you to establish the consistency that you need to walk with Jesus. And one last thing, the Overflow of our life, right? The overflow of our life says this. Overflowing with thanks. Overflowing with thanks. What a beautiful picture of knowing and understanding who Jesus is, what he's done for me in my life, all the beauty that he's given to me in in Jesus in responding to him with thanksgiving as he is a good and loving, perfect God who sent Jesus to go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for my sins. You know that God loves you and cares for you in an incredibly mighty and powerful way? And if we will simply orient our lives to him and who he is, the principles that we have in the word of God, he wants to bring great blessing into our life. He wants us to overflow with blessing. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about this. When you honor the Lord from the first Uh, fruits of your wealth, you know what's going to happen? You're going to overflow from God's goodness. In other words, God sees, knows, and he's going to respond. 
In, in Psalm chapter 23, David recognizes uh, the Lord as the great shepherd, and it says this. It says, you anoint my head with oil, and what my cup overflows. Because he recognizes who God is as the great shepherd, what he has done, and he says, my cup overflows in what you have done for me. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I sure want to overflow with hope. Recognizing who Jesus is and what he's done for me, I want to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, in John 10, 10, what did Jesus say? I have come that they may have life and have it what? In the full. We have a wonderful, beautiful, good God that wants to bring incredible blessings into our lives as we look to focus on him and trust him for what he's done. And Paul says, listen, I just want you to walk consistently with him. I want you to live in the very presence of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Why do we need to do that? Because of the next verse, because of verse 8. Look at verse 8. Watch out. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. There's no doubt that Paul is setting up a contrast through the human principles of the world and this idea of rather than on the unique person of Jesus Christ. And the book of James says this, listen, we all stumble. We all stumble. None of us are perfect. We're going to stumble, but what we need to do is we need to continue to be consistent and we need to watch out. The word captive there, it's an incredibly graphic word. It has the idea of, of being a spoil of war. In other words, you are being so captivated by false teaching that this false teaching is taken over your life and you are being drug off, you're being held a captive of a false teaching. And you're being drug off into enemy camp. I follow a very gifted pastor teacher in the Minneapolis area. He's now retired. I mean, I've got a bunch of his books. I've read a lot about him and who he is and what he's done and how he's helped the cause of Christ. I, I, I love this man. I love his teaching. Like I said, read many of his books. One of his sons basically walked away from the faith. Walked away from the faith. He's got over 900,000 followers. And you know what he does now? He mocks Christianity. He just says how stupid it is and how ridiculous it is. And here's a young man whose father has given himself to teaching people the word of God, and now he's being held captive, drug off into an enemy camp. And rather than doing that just quietly, he's saying, you know what, I just, I don't believe those things anymore. He's making a mockery of Christianity, mockering who his dad is and the foundation of his dad. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Listen, there's a lot of human philosophies out there. Not all philosophy is wrong. Not too long ago, I typed into my browser the top 10 books people need to read. I'm like, you know what? I want to be an educated person. I want to be aware of what's going on. And one of the, one of the books that consistently came up was a book by... Uh, Marcus Aurelius, called Meditations. He lived in AD, I think, 150. And he's a philosopher. 
And, and this is what he, he said in one of his books, one of his meditations. You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. And that's not, a, that's not bad. That's right out of the Bible. Set your mind and your heart on the things above. Not all philosophies are bad. What we have to do is we have to be careful of religious jargon. We have to be careful of, of listening to things that are somewhat half-truth. We get caught up in slogans in the church. And we forget that there's, there's something deep in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Disciplining our body, there's nothing wrong with, with disciplining our bodies for the sake of godliness, to go out and to, to work hard at, at learning and growing in my faith. There's, there's nothing wrong with disciplining yourself in that way. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating certain days, but they cannot become the focus of all of life. Asceticism or, or bodily functions or celebration or this mystical stuff that's out here. That's what Paul's talking about. About the changes, the legal changes that have happened in the last 30, 40 years. They're legal, not biblical. Abortion, 1973. It still runs rampant. The abortion is the taking of a human life. It's the taking of a human life. That's simply what it is. And it's legal. Marriage, the Judeo Christian foundation of, of marriage has been. Absolutely redefined. And our kids are growing up in the middle of that. In the midst of this, we are seeing a movement to change the definition of what a male and a female is. And that's coming right down. We have all kinds of these human philosophies, these human principles that are coming right into our front door. And you and I are living right in the midst of it. And we need to have Jesus at the very anchor of our soul so that we can combat those things. As I thought about some of these basic principles of the world, I, I kind of made a list. I sat down and I said, okay, well, what are some of the things that I see out there? And maybe you have an idea of, of some of those. But let me just give you a list of some of the things that I, I put down. What might these basic principles of the world be? All religions are the same. There's no, there's no absolute truth. It doesn't matter what you worship. They can be contradictory, but there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's life only here, and there's nothing beyond this world. The growth of atheism is just hammering that in. And one of the books that I'm reading talks about the three regrets in life. I'm reading, I'm almost done with this book, The Three Regrets. And I, I'm listening and, and reading, and I don't see people regretting that they haven't built a foundation that looks toward the future. I'm like, what? I mean, they're just believing that this is all there is. I think we're seeing more and more of that. Seek your own fulfillment, especially in the area of sex. It doesn't matter. Listen, there's no boundaries anymore. Just be happy. Seek your own fulfillment. What you need to do is we need to become authentic to who we are as people. You need to be authentic to who you are. I want to tell you something. I don't want to get in touch with my authenticity because I know who I am. I know the struggles in this heart. I know what goes on in my heart. I need Jesus to help me. I want to get in touch with the authentic Jesus. And by the way, that's the premise of this book. Worshiping Jesus for who he is and what he said. And we have all kinds of these human philosophies going on all around us. You deserve the best of everything. You deserve it. All suffering should be eliminated. There's no value in suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. But there's a brokenness in this world because of sin. And we see it all around us. And, and God is fully capable to take the brokenness of the world, the suffering in this world, and turn it into something good. God can redeem that kind of suffering. 
The last thing, there's no such thing as sin. We don't even talk about sin. There's no limits as to what you can do in a world. Those are some of the basic principles that you and I are being bombarded with on a daily basis. And our kids are being immersed in them. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to watching on verse 8? Pastor Mike Faberis, I, I saw him uh, last year, two, two years ago. At, he was up here at, uh, Moody, or at uh, Brooks Bible doing some uh, teaching. And this is what he said, and, and I really like the way that he paraphrases this. He says this, I often say that right thinking leads to right living. We don't study scripture for the sake of gaining more knowledge. Rather, we knew our minds through God's word so that we can live out the principles in the day-to-day grind. That's exactly what he's talking about here walking with Jesus day in and day out, recognizing that we need to be, be putting those roots down. We need to be building ourselves up. We need to be offering things. We need to be strengthened. We need to look out for all of the, the difficulties and challenges going on around us. One man said this, P.T. Forsyth said this, unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is about us. Seems to me most of these thinkers are reminding us that who you are on the inside, what you think about, what you dwell on, how you look at your life is what you're going to become. There was one man, I forgot who, who said this. He said, I can take a look at your friends and see what kind of person you're going to become. I can take a look at your friends and know that this is how you're probably going to become. And I, I want to be walking with Jesus. I want to be living with Jesus. I want to be putting my faith, my confidence in who he is and what he's done for us. So Paul says, and I want you to walk. I want you to watch out. And the last thing we're done, real briefly, we need to worship Jesus for who he is. We need to worship Jesus for who he is. Look at verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Let me ask you, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus to you? Is your understanding of the nature and the character of Jesus, does that understanding coincide with what it says right here? He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the one promised in the Old Testament, the promised in Isaiah. Is he the promised one to you? Did you understand the fullness of the, that in the unique person of Jesus dwells God in the flesh, the incarnation? Is a reminder that, that Jesus came to this earth to dwell among us, to live among us? And he lives in bodily form that he took on human flesh to come and live and tabernacle on this life. Is that the Jesus that you believe in? Oh, no, he's he's, he's a good teacher. He's a great philosopher. I I love his teaching, but I don't know if he's fully God. Then you don't have an understanding of of who Jesus is. And that's why Paul always goes back to who Jesus is and what he's done. So we worship Jesus for who he is. But then we also worship for for what he's done. Look at verse 10. You don't want to know who you are in Christ? This is who you are in Christ today. You have been given fullness in Jesus. Wow. All that Jesus possesses, I have been given fullness, completeness in who he is and what he's done for us. Who is the head of over every power and authority In him, you were also circumcised by the putting off of the sinful nature, not with circumcision done by hands 
of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. We all know what circumcision is, right? It's a removal of a body part, part of a flesh. In the Old Testament, circumcision was this process done as a sign that they were God's covenant people, not just a removal of the part of the body, but there was a connection between circumcision and their hearts. Circumcise your hearts. In other words, you need to live under the umbrella of the covenant that I'm giving with you and walk in obedience to that covenant. Circumcise your heart. In Christ, we have been circumcised by what Jesus has done for us. And what has Jesus done for us? By the way, he went to the cross, offered his body, stripped of everything, his body broke and bloodied on the cross, his flesh opened up on the cross so that you and I might, what? Have forgiveness of sins. What Christ has done for us, he circumcises on the inside and changed and transformed us on the inside having been buried with him in baptism. Listen, if you've been baptized, you ought to consider being baptized. Baptism is a, an, outward, an outward picture of what Christ has done on the inside of your life. When you go under the water, you're identifying yourself in Jesus' death. And when you come out of the water, you're identifying Jesus' resurrection, buried resurrection. I don't want to just be buried with Jesus. Man, I want to be resurrected with him. I want to be raised with him. My citizenship is in heaven. Where's Jesus at? Jesus is the right hand of God the Father. He's living that. I want, I want to live in that realm. I want to walk in that power for who Jesus is and what he's done for us. John, 1, verse, John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to us in the incarnation to destroy the very heart of God to us. And that's why we worship him. To tabernacle means to live among us. And because of what Jesus has done for us, you and I now have the opportunity to live. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to get to this in a couple of weeks. Just incredibly beautiful words. By the way, that's, that's why I encourage you to memorize Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. And they are powerful. Chapter 3 says this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let me tell you something. Your identity, who you are as a person, is hidden in Jesus. That's who you are. You are God's child. You are redeemed. He loves you. He cares for you. And don't let the world put you down. Even though you don't embrace what they embrace, You are God's child, and your union, your identity is in Jesus. Don't forget that. It's incredibly important for us to remember that we are in Christ, and he loves us, and he cares for us. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will be with him in glory. I'm going to one day be with Jesus. Where? In glory. Isn't that awesome? The circumcision he's talking about here is a circumcision where we've been transformed on the inside because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And now because of that, we have the opportunity to worship him in a mighty and different way. One last verse and we're done. Philippians chapter 3. This is where we get this idea of the circumcision on the inside that changes us. Philippians chapter 3 says this. We are the true circumcision. And by the way, this is Jews and Gentiles, right? Not all Gentiles were circumcised. The true circumcision is a circumcision of the heart who worship what? In the spirit of God. The spirit of God is inside of me. It's inside of us. And we worship him for who he is. We are the true circumcision 
but worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. That's why I want to look to Jesus. I want to look to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for me and what he's done in my life. And I want to walk with him. And I want to watch out. And I want to make sure that we worship him. Don't you love God's word? And I hope so. Don't you love what Jesus has done for you? You should worship him for who he is. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you that we have a chance to sing, lift our voices to you, to praise you. God, just thank you. Father, I thank you for my salvation. Father, thank you for changing me. Father, thank you for changing every person in this room. And Lord, we want to worship you for who you are and what you've done for us. Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to come and to gather and to sing and to share and to shout and be, be grateful for who you are and what you've done. Father, I pray that you would continue to transform us on the inside. Amen.